Believe it or not. Strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Unbelievable? Believe it. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibilities. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brent. So, Ryan, this week we are crashing headfirst through a plate of glass into the world of professional stunt performers. But we're going to be focusing on a little-known aspect of this world, Ryan. Today, we're going to be examining the history of stunt women, who, believe it or not, typically have more dangerous jobs than stunt men. Um, This is on a movie called The Host, and we moved the action down a little ways, and there was no drop-off, and it ended up sliding the car and flipping it four times um, before it came to a stop. We've entered something like a golden age for women in the stunt business, which is long overdue because truly, without stunt women, we never would have had a stunt industry at all. That's right, Brent. Back in the day, it's accurate to say that some of the only people that would perform stunts were women. So let's meet someone who's carrying on that legacy. Heidi Moneymaker, and yes, that's her real name. Heidi has become kind of the modern day face of stunt women in Hollywood and what they can achieve. She started this career 17 years ago, and for the last decade, she's been the personal stunt woman for Scarlett Johansson and all the Avengers movies, as well as for Michelle Rodriguez in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Heidi tells us that while she loves her work, there's always a sense of danger, but it's important that you never go to work scared. If if I'm ever scared to do something, I don't do it. Um, if I'm nervous, you know, kind of adrenaline or, you know, a little excitement, it's fine. But if something scares me or if I'm, if I feel like I'm probably or might get hurt, um, I won't do it. And that is because when I was younger um, and kind of newer in the business, I was working on a film and I went in for a rehearsal day and I was doing a wire move. And, you know, we had a really hard time nailing the move and I was wearing a helmet and pads and everything, but I kept banging my head pretty hard into a wall. And, um, I just didn't think that we had it rigged properly, but I also, you know, didn't have the knowledge at that time of how we could rig it better. And, you know, there's sort of an unspoken thing and like, you don't complain and you don't whine about stuff. You know, you, you know, we're all working it out. We're all there as a team. And so I just, I left there probably mildly concussed and, Mm. you know, upset about it because we had to shoot the next day and it wasn't ready. And then I wasn't going to be wearing a helmet and I wasn't going to be, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And it was one of those things where I went to work knowing I was going to get hurt. I just didn't know how I didn't know in what way. And to me, that's very dangerous and, and not very smart. And it ended up working out much better than I thought. I ended up um, we, we did it successfully a few times. And one time I, I shot through the hole in the side of the set, which I was supposed to do. And I swung around to the top and, and, um, you know, smacked my calf on a two by four and, you know, stuff like this happens. And it's not like this was something that was definitely put together in a dangerous way. It was just how I was feeling. Um, and I ended up having, you know, finishing the day with kind of a really messed up calf. And I left there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to ever do, I'm not going to ever go to work again like this where I am 
I know I'm, I know I'm going to get hurt in some capacity. It was a lesson learned for Heidi. She was new in the business, and because she was a woman, she felt she couldn't speak up for fear of repercussions like being fired. Clearly, stunt performing is a dangerous occupation. In the summer of 2017, the industry was hit with two deaths in one month. A 33-year-old stuntman died from a 30-foot fall on the set of The Walking Dead. And uh, later that same month, a stunt woman named Joy Harris died in a motorcycle accident while filming a stunt for Deadpool 2. As Heidi's career evolved, she became more seasoned and more confident to the point when, years later, she felt uncomfortable before filming a particular stunt. She handled the situation much differently. Part of that's educating yourself as well. So going and, you know, finding out, you know, getting a little more knowledge about the things that you don't understand. Like I needed to learn a little more about rigging and and such. Um, So anyway, that led into something later on in my career when I was a little older and more established and I was doing a um, cannon roll in a in a car and that is basically you're driving a car (laughs) up to a mark and you slide it or skid it or whatever it is you need to do to get in position and then you hit a button and that launches an air pressure dowel that um, pushes into the street from your backseat so you have a hole cut out in your backseat or wherever the cannon is and um, that dowel pushes into the cement and launches your car into the air and so I was originally supposed to flip this car, slide the car and flip it down um, into a ditch. And the location that we were going to, to shoot this, I mean, there was a drop of like 200 feet. We were, we were in New Mexico and it was like, you know, Grand Canyon-esque. And so it would have been nearly impossible for me to flip this car and roll it all the way to the edge so that it would roll over. However, if I'm the luckiest person in the world and I happen to achieve that, game over, I would have died. Like there's no surviving a 200 foot fall in a car. So I was losing sleep over it and I was nervous about it. It was already a big stunt for me and I was already like anxious about the stunt in general. Um, and finally I, um, took my boss aside and said, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm really concerned about this because I know there's a very small chance I could ever make this happen. But if I did, you know, that's the end of my life. So what can we do? And he was amazing. Sam Hargrave, he said, no problem. Let me just talk to the producers and see if maybe we can move the location down a little bit. And what ended up happening is they were amazing. Um, this is on a movie called The Host. And we moved the action down a little ways and there was no drop off. And it ended up sliding the car and flipping it four times um, before it came to a stop. So it ended up being very exciting in general. So it ended up working out really well. But, you know, it was one of those things where I was confident enough to know, like, you know what, I'm not going to not going to go to work and be fearful, you know, and that's a rule I have now. <laughs> you don't go to work if you're scared to do it. You go to work, but you don't do a stunt if you're scared to do it because you're probably going to get hurt. Even, even if it's rigged safely, if you're scared to do it, that's not a good thing. <laughs> you should be anxious, excited, and have rehearsed it in, in, enough in a safe way that you feel that you want to do it. If, you, if you're a stunt woman or a stunt man, you likely get excited by big stunts that generally knock the crap out of you. <laughs> But it's sort of part of what we do. Um, and if you don't feel that way, then you, you might be in the wrong industry. I don't know. <laughs> We're kind of a weird bunch. <laughs> With a background as a two-time national champion gymnast at UCLA, it made sense for Heidi to use her athletic talents in the movies. And to this day, she has a reputation for excelling in aerial feats as well as hand-to-hand combat. But her career would not have been possible, and she certainly wouldn't have been able to talk to her directors about changing the location of a stunt without the work of the pioneer stunt women who came before her. Those are the ones who really started the industry, says Molly Gregory, an author in Los Angeles who literally 
wrote the book about the history of stunt women in Hollywood. At the very beginning of the movies, the main stars were women. Hmm. Of course, there are other men stars too, but the women were equally in the mix. And if I could think of any of the films that were famous that she had, that they had done, say in. Uh, 1918, 1915. There were big, big stars at that point. I'm not and sure. Most I'm, not, of them were women. I'm not sure people know that. That that that. Well, uh, I didn't know it. Right. <laughs> when I started it, but they were. They were huge. Um, uh, they were huge shows, and people went to them faithfully every week because they ended on a big uh, note that reminded everybody that if the star was sitting on the tracks and the train was coming right for her, you'd better come next week and see what happens. There were big, there were uh, huge, uh, huge interests in women driving at that point, and these women, some of them were um, just really out there driving the heck out of their cars. And it was well known that they could be, you know, drive a car that fast and uh, run over the railroad tracks and all that. It's an exciting thing to see. And that's when women started really driving for real, whether they were stunt women or... uh, Workers in a field. Molly tells us that in the silent era days at the dawn of filmmaking, those who couldn't get hired in other jobs, namely Jews, immigrants, and women, could find work in Hollywood. By 1916, women were excelling as actresses and stunt performers, starring in popular serials that changed the world of cinema. At first, no one knew if movies would make any money at all, but the serials became popular and soon the world of stunt performing began to evolve. Suddenly, people wanted to see entertaining stunts in film, and money was there to be made. It became the focal point of some movies, and men started to take over the jobs. Men like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton pioneered a new style of this sort of artful physicality in filmmaking. And so, as women were phased out of the industry, the era of the stuntman began. Women would have to wait more than 40 years to regain any kind of relevancy in the industry. It was a man's game, and uh, there was one woman told me that she knew she could do the stunt. They knew that she could do the stunt, but they wanted a guy to do it. I wouldn't really, yes, part of it was the 60s, but I would say really the 70s, because everything is changing for women uh, in certainly by the 70s. They had their own organizations. They made their own organizations then. And uh, um, times were a little bit better. But I, I would suspect that it was pretty damn tough for them. It began, you know, in the 20s. And then the 30s came, and the 40s, and the 50s. Those were really tough times. So the 70s, when people were really examining why women were so discouraged in various forms of work, all kinds of work, not just stunts, why that was so, and why it should not be so, if you follow me. 
Makes sense. Sure. So there's a there's a historical. Yeah. The times had changed. Gotcha. Yeah. There's um, a, a but cultural. But they went difference. on a long time before that. They were pretty bad and pretty difficult to get into. So as the old guard changed again in Hollywood, and more and more women were accepted as stunt performers in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it took a special kind of person to want to do the job. First of all, you're an athlete. Hmm. Second of all, you've really got guts and good sense. You can see how a person like that can look at what the job entails and she can see how it can be done without anybody getting hurt. It, it's a, and they were and are, stunt women, are just, they're magnificent people because they risk a lot. And of course the men do too, but perhaps not the same way. But it's, it's a confidence that they know going in to a stunt that looks a little dicey. Should you pull the plug or not? Or do you think you can do it? Well, that's really a big question. But on the other hand, they know what they're doing. They've done it before in some other way, maybe. You see what I mean? I do. It's an attitude, an attitude that uh, stunt women and stunt men have, I think. It's awfully good. Um, they take a risk and they pull it off. Gosh, it's wonderful. It sounds like you admire them uh, greatly. Oh, I do. I do. I was very interested to talk with them and to find out more about stunts and stunt work and how it's done and how careful people are now. I don't think they were very careful in the 20s, but of course the movies were so new. How did you be careful? Most people didn't know how the movies worked back then. Now it's quite different. Molly noted that from 1918 to 1919, there were 1,052 temporary injuries, as some industry workers used to call non-fatal injuries, as well as three deaths among the stunt performers. And they clearly weren't doing it for the money. In 1959, stunt workers were paid $80 a day. Today, that number is up to $995 per day. And one worker told us that if you're a success, meaning that you get to double a famous actor or actress, you can earn up to $500,000 a year. And unlike other facets of Hollywood, Heidi says there seems to be something like equality when it comes to paying for stunt work. But I would I would tend to say that it's probably probably similar. Um, you know, there's a base rate that um, that we all make when you come into the business. And then, you know, depending on what kind of stunt you do, you get a stunt bump. You know, if you do a big car roll, you know, you're going to get paid a little more than if you, you know, just get hit with a bullet and fall down. Um once you've, you know, been a little more established and or, you know, start working with an actor and they request you all the time, um, you can, you know, negotiate a higher rate for sure. And it, like I said, I'm not really sure what everyone makes in their rates or and I don't really know if the coordinators, you know, I, I feel like when I see all the stunt adjustments at the end of the night that they're 
definitely fair um, for sure. So I, I would tend to say that it's, I, what I see, it seems to be fairly equal, but I, I could be wrong. <laughs> 10 years ago, Heidi tried out for Iron Man 2. And while most would have thought this would be a nerve wracking time for her, she was able to look at it in a different way. I just saw it as like another really great opportunity. Like I, I think because um, I've competed in some like crazy international competitions where I'm having to do like I have one chance and I'm having to do some crazy amount of flips on a tiny like four inch wide beam. And when sure. like it's hard enough to be nervous and be prepared for a gymnastics competition. But when you have to go up on a balance beam and do a bunch of flips and stay up there and be find your way to be calm in all that pressure. Um, I think that's helped me so much because that was intense. I got into the film industry. I'm like, I get more than one chance. Are you serious? Like, that's great. We're going to go until we ha until you get it. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Like, if I if I screw up, it's not over. That's yeah. fantastic. I love it. But there are some things Heidi says she will never do. So we do a lot of harness work where we're connected to cables or or tech line, and you know sometimes you're getting rat. We call it a ratchet. It's like an air pressure powered kind of. I don't want to say explosion because it's not really an explosion, but it's an air tank that kind of like goes off and launches you back into a wall or up into the air. Right. We do that a lot. We do like decelerators and descenders, which are, you know, something where you're up very high and you jump off something and you, it's a, a machine that kind of like slows you down before you get to the ground. Um, we, we work on winches, which kind of fly you around in the air. Um, right. <clears throat> kind of like highlights and stuff. So yeah, we do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, how, how, how are you with heights? Oh, heights don't bother me at all. I would hope not. <laughs> I mean, I would be nervous if I was on something very tiny and I had no safety. Um, but you know, there's always a safety. So heights don't bother me. Is there anything that does bother you? Yes. There is. <laughs> okay. I don't do. I don't do like spiders or bees, and generally, if you want me to work with like a snake or an animal, like I'd have to really know you, and we'd have to have a big discussion because I'm, I'm a big fan of. I love animals. I'm a huge animal lover, but they're animals, and <laughs> they're trained to do stuff that you know. <laughs> so, I don't want the other um, end up so. Obviously, has there been a time when you've had to do this? No. So I turned down a job one time doubling Jennifer Aniston because she was going to be covered in bees. And I was like, nah, it's not me. <laughs> and I love I bees. Even, I, I'm I've trying been, to think what that was. I don't even know what movie that was. I don't was. actually either know what that was now that we were talking about it. Um, I wish I could remember. Think, but like, Yeah. No, it was... One of those things where it was like a couple of days and I was like, you know, it's not something I need to do. Um, Find somebody love, else. Yeah, I love bees. I think they're so important and I've made my peace with the bees. But she says some things about work are complete joy. After doubling Scarlett Johansson for 10 years, the two have become good friends. You know, she's, she started with Iron Man 2 and she came in not having done a, a lot of stunts or physicality and train with us for like six or eight weeks and really she just really did a good job and because we've been working together for 10 years it's it's very i don't want to say easy it's just nice to work with somebody you've known for that long 
I know her strengths. I know what she likes to do and with what hand, what she likes to do with what leg, which way she turns properly. So like when we're coming up with choreography and stuff, it's so much easier for me because I don't have to like make choreography up for her and then see how it goes. I just know like, hey, she doesn't like that. Hey, she's really good at this. So she's really easy to work with because we've just done it for so long. And she's also just awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? Uh, I guess it's it's mostly when someone first starts that that's like the hardest place for them because they have to actually, you know, kind of switch gears and conform to something very new. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you also have people like Chris Evans, who's a dancer. So for him, like, choreography comes really easy and he remembers things like he has he's incredible he you can you can show him a fight scene and not even train him in it just show it to him and pretty much he can pick it up and do it (laughs) now Heidi is moving up the ladder in Hollywood she recently began coordinating stunts for movies rather than just stunt doubling for actresses and she recognizes the opportunity she has in movies today acknowledging that this is a new golden age for stunt women in Hollywood Still, she has bigger ambitions. Her sister is also a famous stunt woman in her own right, doubling for Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games and Brie Larson, the recent star of Captain Marvel. One day, Heidi hopes to direct feature films and maybe coordinate a fight scene between her and her sister. We have this amazing boom right now where everyone's recognizing women in film and we're getting a lot more opportunities and I think that's great. Um, But I also think that just like then, you know, you want to make sure someone's qualified and that doesn't mean a man's qualified. It just means that like if someone's qualified, they're qualified, you know, and if we're going to be, I'm sorry, this is turning into my (laughs) opinion on what's happening, but if we're going to be boosting women in film, I think what we should be doing is really boosting them, like not putting somebody in a position that they're not ready for, putting them in a position with somebody to support them, to help them get ready for, you know, a position. Uh, Because there hasn't been a ton of opportunity, you know, and that's how you learn is you get the yeah. opportunities. And so I think a lot of women are getting, you know, these chances. But at the same time, like, I think if, we, if we're if we truly wanting to support women in film, women in the world, um, then what we need to do is give them the opportunity to succeed. You don't just, like, put somebody in a managerial position when they're not 100% ready. Put them on a team, you know, and say, hey... We want to give you this opportunity. We're trying to build women in film. Here are some teammates for you. You guys are going to work together and make this film incredible. And you're going to give your amazing two cents and they're going to teach you, you know, a few things here and there. You know, I would, I would love that opportunity. I've, you know, I've been working in action and film for a long time and I would love the opportunity to come on to a part of a team where I could be useful. But at the same time, you know, someone wasn't just throwing me to the wolves in something that I didn't quite have the experience for yet, you know? To be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm a very creative person. I'm, I want to direct. So stunt coordinating is awesome. It's a great step up and it's, it's a wonderful position, but I really, what I really want to do is direct. So, um, and so that, is that the future for, for Heidi is that we'll, we'll kind of do what you have to do to get into that position. Yeah. I mean, from, from the get go, I remember the first time my sister first moved to LA, she first started doing stunts. I said, I wanna, I'm gonna choreograph a big fight between us. I'm gonna shoot it and edit it and put effects on it and everything. So I've been doing like <laughs> little things like that. I have a couple of short films that I've done um, since then. That you know, I've I've very much been into that my whole career. Heidi acknowledges that her job is the most dangerous in Hollywood. 
In an August 2017 article for The Guardian, Jake Nevins quoted stunt coordinator Andy Armstrong, who has worked on the sets of movies like Thor, Planet of the Apes, and Total Recall, as saying, quote, It's a terribly fine line when it comes to guaranteeing safety, because in reality, there is no guarantee. If these stunts were common, you wouldn't want it in the movie. So you're invariably asking someone to do something outside the box, which is where it becomes so difficult to regulate, end quote. So we'd like to thank Heidi and Molly for talking with us and be sure to look for Molly's book called Stunt Women, The Untold Hollywood Story at Amazon or bookstores near you. So Ryan, Ripley's has always had a fondness for featuring stunt people, right? In fact, you can check out our website, ripley's.com, and read about some of the craziest stunts that people have ever attempted. Believe it or not. There's swimming while your hands and feet are bound together or balancing on the tips of sharp spears. And of course, camel jumping, which means you jump over a camel, right? Correct. (laughs) Okay. Find all of those and more amazing stunt stories at ripley's.com. All right, Ryan, are you ready for or not? I'm I'm ready. Or not, where we put modern day facts to the test. Are, Are you still ready? Again, still ready. Let's do it. So in this episode, we've learned a lot about stunt performers and the amount of time and training they put into their craft. Uh, Heidi even mentioned how she's trained in various forms of martial arts uh, for certain films. Uh, But interestingly enough, it seems Hollywood's once again gotten it wrong, uh, this time when it comes to the portrayal of those masters of the martial arts, the ninja. What does the word ninja conjure up? Uh, nimble guys and gals dressed in black with only their assassin trained eyes uh, showing uh, samurai swords and throwing stars. And uh, it turns out it's all wrong. According to Matt Alt and Hiroko Yoda, authors of Ninja Attack, True Tales of Assassins, Samurai and Outlaws, Ninja needed to blend in with the masses, which meant not looking like Ninja. The function and mission of each ninja proved different, not unlike contemporary CIA agents. They needed to appear inconspicuous and move about the countryside freely without raising alarm. So, your average ninja probably looked a lot more like a farmer. That's right, an ass-kicking farmer. Now let's talk about weapons. Ninja didn't carry samurai swords because, to put it bluntly, they weren't samurai. Doing so meant something akin to impersonating a cop today. And back then, such an act uh, earned the death penalty. And no, they didn't use throwing stars either. No written records have ever been found that document their use in warfare. Alt and Yoda wrote, quote, Ninja were at the cutting edge of weapons technology of their day, experimenting with explosives and diversions and flintlock rifles and anything that would give them an edge, unquote. So while they may not have used swords and throwing stars, we here at Ripley's think ninja farmers who are experts in explosives are still pretty interesting and dangerous. And we'll be there to share their stories, believe us or not. Ripley's Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner. I edit the show. The Notcast is recorded at the historic Herzog Studio, home of the nonprofit Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation. Visit Herzog in person or sign up online at herzogmusic.com. The Notcast intro theme was put together by Colton Cruz, and our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. The review system for this podcast stars you. 
Now it's your turn to dial up Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just tap that fifth star to show your appreciation for this free entertainment. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at Ripley's. Next week, tune in for an episode of High Strangeness. What do a giant Birdman creature, UFOs, clairvoyance, and a horrible tragedy all have in common? Just ask the citizenry of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, who believes something very odd occurred there almost 60 years ago. That's next week on Ripley's Believe It or Not cast. There's a-